Welcome back to The Shorter, a podcast on The Shorter Catechism where two pastors take 20-something minutes to confess their way through the 107 questions of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I'm your host, Tommy Park, and I'm joined by my co-host, Stephen Spinoweber. Happy day after Cinco de Mayo. Happy day after Cinco de Mayo to you too, buddy. It's also a significant day, not just because in 1862, the Mexican armies beat Napoleon III in the Battle of Puebla, but but many, many, many years later, my fourth child, second son was born. That's right. I thought it was your eldest son's, but it's so Judah's what, two now? He's two. He's big two. He looks exactly like you. Uh, with blonde hair. With blonde hair. But you did have blonde hair back in your American Eagle days. Uh no, those are tips. Sun tips is that what they Frosted tips. Frost? No, there you listened a lot of NSYNC, didn't you? No, I did not. That was like JT, Justin Timberlake. I know, but I didn't listen to them. I mean, it would have been uncanny to see you right there next to JT. You'd be like, "Look at this guy." Yep, but look at me now. Look at you now. Fun fact: uh, Kwanzaa. I actually lived. The guy who made Kwanzaa lived in Parsonsburg, Maryland, and my wife and I lived 15 minutes away from there. So, obscure holiday facts, Cinco de Mayo and Kwanzaa, we got two connections going on here. But none of my children were born on Kwanzaa. None of them. None of your three? None of them. So, no, we won't get into it. But, okay. uh, but We've got the shorter. we got the shorter, and children are amazing. So, great. But we'll stick with the... Summing up the Ten Commandments, uh, so this week we're going to wrap up the Ten Commandments. How do you mm-hmm. feel about that, Stephen? Irie. Is that the word? I don't Eerie? Know. Irie? Either one will work. I'm sad, yeah. but, but it's been a good journey. Yeah. We're moving right along. Mm-hmm. So, remember, we, we have said it throughout, you know, I guess before we kind of sum these up, that the commandments are there to... Show us how what it means to be fully human, and God is has designed us in a way, and He's protecting His people in such a way that He has put these commandments in front of us mm-hmm. uh, to actually show us what, how life works best. Yep, uh, and Christ fulfilled all of these, lived the perfect human life, and it was really interesting. Was reading John Huss recently talking about how Christ is the head of His mystical body, the Church. Now, Christ is the chief human because he's fully God and fully human. And so, in the sense that he's our head, he is the ultimate human being. You know, he he was the second Adam and doing what we could not. And what is it that Christ did? He kept all these yeah. And perfectly. He sh- yeah. And he showed, you know, for example, the first three or four commandments, you can say that we're, you know, designed to worship, mm-hmm. but we need to worship the right God in the right, right. context. Uh, you know, we're designed to to rest, as it were. That, mm-hmm. uh, that you know that, and then we're designed to have the right authority. Uh, yeah, not just to have it over us, but also to be under authority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so, seventh commandment: live chaste uh, as sexual beings. Uh, God has made us body and soul, and we are to honor Him with our bodies uh, in the context of marriage between one man and one woman. Eighth commandment. Yeah, just to watch over what God has given us, uh, that we shouldn't steal, that we protect uh, what's ours, but we don't rob 
what's not ours, uh, that we are good stewards of God's creation uh, around us. Ninth commandment, our words are powerful. I think it was James Anderson. He said that our words really do things. So they are either for the upbuilding or the tearing down of our brothers. And so Hebrews 10, let us exhort one another on to good works. So uh, God gave us mouths for good purpose. They've been set on fire by hell. And yet this ninth commandment is a bit and bridle, you could call it, uh, of the tongue. We're to honor God with our lips. And 10th commandment, what we're talking about today. Yep. That we're designed to be satisfied, but satisfied in God himself and what he has provided for us. Do not covet. So today's questions, we're going to be taking 79, 80, and 81 of the Shorter Catechism. The 10th commandment is, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. So we'll do this today under three points. What it means to be content. What it, oh, first it will be actually what it means to be discontent, that is coveting. We're going to define it. What it means to be content, what the Bible teaches concerning contentment. And then practically how to be content. So when we talk about discontentment or coveting, what what's wrapped up in that, Tommy? It's basically it's wanting that which you have no right or desiring something that belongs to someone else. So it's not saying you can't this is not a commandment against ambition. We could call no, it that. No. So let's just say you're a college student and you'd like to have a career one day. It's not wrong to want that. No, I don't, no, there's nothing. Yeah. I mean, we, I talked to my students, you know, what's your, what's your hopes and your dreams? Is it for you to have that house, that perfect house with a white picket fence? Uh, there's something we're creating. And this is, I think what this guy comes or this question is getting at, or this commandment is that we are designed to be satisfied, but not a, false contentment you know mm -hmm. there's there's things that are good but we cannot make those good things ultimate things in our life so yeah um so yes you, you know you you might desire to make good grades um, but if those good grades uh, kind of define who you are or you can't just be satisfied without making this grade or yeah. that it's making our happiness contingent on something that we don't already possess. So when I get this thing, then I'll be content. When I get that, then I'll finally be happy. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's what we've, I think we've said it here before, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, you mm -hmm. know, that, you know, you look into your next door neighbor. Uh, what do they have that I would want? And what's interesting, I think about this commandment is this is one of the only ones and maybe the first and the tenth, they're kind of booked in that this one doesn't show up. It's internal. Yeah, it's more eternal. It it doesn't show up like the other ones. It's obvious when you kill somebody. Yeah. And yet even even the other commandments, they deal with the external manifestations. But what I think these commandments and you're hitting on is that it's not just the letter of the law or the external conformity of the law that God desires. He wants us in the inner man, and he cares about our desires to be in conformity with God's law. Yeah, I mean, this maybe we'll use this throughout, but you know, the perfect 
I think the perfect like literature example of this is the Lord of the Rings. You know, with the ring, you know, the coveting over the ring and Gollum, you know, this is my precious, you know, and and he would do anything and and you can actually because of him uh desiring over the having possession of that ring, you can actually see it destroy him. Destroy him. Yeah. And so there was some French novel, Madame Bovier, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, or uh, the French, just, they don't believe in consonants. It's just, like, all like that. But she has this beautiful, lush little garden that's right outside of her window. And the problem with her is that she keeps looking beyond the garden. And she keeps seeing what could be or what's far off. And in so doing, she's overlooking, literally, the beautiful garden that's right there beneath her window. And that's very much the case whenever we're discontent because it's not that, man, I don't have what I need. We already have more than we need, but we've made our needs and elevated them to or our wants and you know, risen them to a level of need. Kevin D. Young, his book on the Ten Commandments, I love how he sets up this contrast, contentment versus covetousness. Contentment says, I have what I need. I am happy in the Lord. He does good to all. I want nothing more than I have. Covetousness says, I need that. I won't be happy without it. Right? See, again, your happiness being dictated by what you have or don't have. It isn't fair. I don't have it. I want that more than anything else. And how many times have we said that, right? Uh, Then unless, I'm sure your college students say this, unless I get this job, unless I date this girl or this guy, I can't be happy because... Ultimately, what they've rested their happiness in is something that God has said, this isn't going to provide it for you. So you got Ed Clowney there. Um, so, yeah, you know, Ed Clowney puts it this way. This commandment does not condemn desiring, contra to Buddhism. The teaching of Jesus does not find liberty in the death of desire, nor does it encourage a Mennonite rejection of conveniences by industrial and electrical progress. The Tenth Commandment does not forbid us to desire the blessings of God's creation or the fruit of human labor. It condemns desiring what belongs to others, envy in short. It is our desire for something, for anything that would draw us away from continually serving God wherever his providence has placed us. Like you said earlier, it's not that desiring for something. It's that desiring for something that moves us away from from the mm-hmm. true satisfaction that's found in God alone. And this is – and notice that Clowney hits on this. It's wanting something that belongs to others, envy in short, and even the Tenth Commandment. It, it says this, your neighbor's wife, your neighbor's manservant. And so it's wanting something to which you have no right, but it also has a personal element to it. It is your neighbor's. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to somebody else. You think of Achan, one of the clearest mm-hmm. examples of this in the Old Testament in Joshua chapter 7. He wanted the tunic, the gold, the silver, and in so doing, he forfeited the land of promise that God was going to have for him. And so it's the case with every one of us who covets these lesser I call it fool's gold that's here below for the real gold that God has laid up for us. If only Achan had waited, if only he had delayed gratification to the time when God said, I will gratify you, I'll satisfy your desires. Um, 
Oh, do you have any other examples that you can well, think, I think of in scripture? The, yeah, people of God throughout the, uh, the Exodus, you know, them wandering through the wilderness. Uh, and they actually coveted over a false reality. Remember, like, what, uh, all the grumbling in, what, 15, 16? You know, back back when we the were slaves. Pots. Yeah. Moses, you're, you brought us out here to kill us. But remember back there where we were eating all these meat meat pots to the full? Like, you know, they had they were coveting over even a false reality, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and so, um, and then Judas there in the New Testament mm. sold the Savior sinners for thirty pieces of silver, right? Yeah, yeah, and and that the relative worthlessness of that the the worthlessness of that thirty pieces of silver versus the Christ, we think that's silly, but how often do we, as the Puritans say, do we sell out Christ for a trifle or baubles? Um, too, too often, uh, I think it was Watson who said, you know, it takes a violent act, you know, it takes something that's contrary to nature to, to raise up this balloon, but like our minds, like we're weighed down, you know, you think of a balloon that's tied to a cinder block, like that's where our minds tend toward the earth, but we need the Holy Spirit to really help us to rise above these things, because it's only once we realize that our great gain is in God himself that suddenly everything else below here starts to fall into place and make some sense. I mean, this is just, like we said at the beginning, this one gets down to the heart because no one's immune to looking to your neighbor, you know, even in ministry. I mean, how often do I, you know, compare to the other campus ministries on the campus of UNF, you know? You know, we just we just get in that comparison mm-hmm. um, game um, and it's not helpful. And there's, and again, I think just that, summing up of when we take good things to become ultimate things mm-hmm. that's when we we see how they how much they fall short in ministry i had a buddy speaking of ministry like you uh, he told me you know steve comparison is the thief of joy yep and i think that's absolutely true so that's what discontentment is it's not being satisfied with god's lot with what he has given you fixating more upon what he has not given you than what he has now we come to the second point, what it means to be content. I'm going to read 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Job 1, 20 uh, through 22, just contextually, this is after Job has lost everything. He's lost his children, donkeys, uh, everything. And Job, though he's lost everything, he arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshipped. He did not curse God. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. There is a picture of contentment. I preached a funeral recently on this text, and I can't remember the source of the the quote, but quoting from 120, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. All that he gives is more than I deserve. And all that he takes is less than I owe. And I cannot tell you how much that has been a help to me, even since that funeral. Just when I look at my life 
And when you're tempted to play the comparison game, Steve, what you have right now is more than you deserve. And whatever God takes away from you or withholds from you is less than you owe him. I know it's been help to me. Um, yeah. No, and remember, you know, God is our good father. He takes care of us and he gives us kind of, I mean, I think you can use that same quote of God's providential care for us. You know, going to Luke 11 of the Lord's Prayer and then that parable of the friend at midnight. Um, and in that sense, like what father, you know, what son asks a dad for us or a, asks for food uh, and the father gives a scorpion. Yeah. Um, um, you know, so our God, our God, our heavenly father knows exactly what we need. Um, and he uses that to show us how he has designed us as his uh, image bearers. Yeah. And so. Yeah, I, I think fundamental to all of this is that we doubt the goodness of God. We, we doubt, does God really have my best interests at heart? And like you said, if we give even sinful fathers the charitable benefit of the doubt, if I ask for bread, my dad's not going to give me a rock. Why do we do that to God? God is our loving heavenly father. He's given us all things. What's the logic of that Romans? You know, he says, will he who is not, will he who has given you his only begotten son fail to give you all things? No way. God's given us the greatest gift that he could ever give. And yeah. so why do we doubt that he'll give us these lesser gifts that, you know, maybe we don't see right now, but that's a failure on our part to believe. Well, we see it dimly and that's, mm-hmm. you know, where we, we see this already, but not yet reality, where we we see God and what he's doing and how he's at work, but we also, our eye often kind of moves to the side and kind of look to our neighbor's stuff um, and and moves us in that direction. And that's why I think the author of Hebrews says, where, where do we need to fix our eyes? You know, the very author and perfecter of our faith. Mm. It's a second. There's other places we could go. You think of Colossians 3, you know, set your mind on things that are above or your life is hidden with Christ and God, not on things here below. Um, but I mean, there's pieces of Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, seek first, you know, his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. We reverse that. That's where the problem is, right? Yeah, yeah. We seek first these things and we're like, well, I'll get to the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. If and when I have time, but Jesus gives us the proper order. Yeah. So, I think that you're kind of lending into the third point here with application, how to be content, because it's easier said than done. It is easier to say be content than to actually be content. So where do where does this begin? Uh, Keith, yeah, you already started there, you know, with the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew yeah, 6. Yeah, Matthew 6, where it says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up yourself treasures in heaven, whether neither moth nor rust destroys, nor thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, and then it continues, you know, there, you know, don't be anxious, you know, that, you know, therefore do not be anxious saying, where, uh, what shall I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? Uh, for the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows them knows you will need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Seeking first the kingdom of God, even the way that the Lord's prayer is structured, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
give us this day our daily bread. So the Lord's Prayer follows that order of priority, his kingdom before our personal needs. Maybe the ACTS acronym, you've seen that before. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Supplication. Supplication. Prayer is not the pulling of the yeah. lever on the Well, and just think about machine. if you walk through that ACTS well, as you adore God and Christ and the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, that would lead you into confession uh, and thanksgiving, which puts you in a better posture to ask the things that you you probably really care about in light of the gospel and the light of what God has done for you. And when you see that God is more than you need already, the things that you thought you needed before suddenly become, eh, I can live without them because I have God. Even the poorest man, if he has God as his father, he has all that he needs. So, you know, thinking practically again, where do you think or what do you think are some sources of discontentment perhaps among Christians? I'm thinking of especially college students, millennials, uh, what is the thief of joy uh, with regard to contentment in the Christian life? Where do, where do we compare with the Joneses? Well, it, it's a number of places. I mean, it could be uh, what's in our bank account. It could be our body type. Um, you know, it could be our family status. Mm-hmm. It could be what our potential might be, you know, as a college student. Like this so-and-so you know, he or she really has potential to, to go. Um, How many TikTok followers do you have? I have zero. Zero? Yeah. Oh, you're, you're killing it, man. Uh, but Instagram, Facebook? Yeah. Well, maybe, yeah. maybe there's some wisdom if you know that every time you get on there and you feel worse about yourself, maybe, <laughs> maybe that's yeah. a clue that you Sim- should spend less time on there. Yeah, simmer down. Yeah, simmer down on that. And... I think asking the question the right way, maybe we talked about this with the stealing episode, not stealing episode, asking yourself, why do I have how much, why do I have all that I do? Not why don't I have these things? Because at the root of that is either a high view of self or you're humble. So I think humility, uh, what do we deserve? Nothing. We, we're not just undeserving of God's mercies, we're deserving of his wrath. And so whatever we have, we can really rejoice in it because it's all a consequence of God's grace. And J.I. Packer, uh, you included this quote, and but I'll read it because uh, it's just so good. To realize the promised presence of one's loving Lord, who both orders one's circumstances and gives strength to cope with them, is the final secret of contentment. So there is no place where I am, whether in plenty or in want, that God has not equipped me to thrive there. So it's not just that God said, hey, I've planned this, but that he's given me the ability to withstand and to thrive whatever he has ordained. That's really comforting. Yeah. Yeah. What else you got? Old Puritan there, uh, Jeremiah Burroughs. classic, uh, the rare jewel of Christian contentment. Uh, He says, if you would get a contented life, do not grip too much of the world. Do not take in more of the business of the world that God calls you to. Just live that simple. I mean, I think, was that? Leonard Skinner, Bane. No, I wasn't thinking of Leonard Skinner. I was thinking of the Bible. 38 special. Um, Both Jacksonville bands. That's true. Uh, yeah. You, go there. Come on. 
go with the Bible? Well, I think was it yes, go with the Bible over Leonard's <laughs> Well, I think it was, I'm trying to think of the Bible verse, but like I think in Thessalonians, you know, just living that simple, quiet life. Mm. You know, that there's a working with your hands. Yeah, there's this there's a sweetness there of kind of and I think Yeah. So I mean there's just a, a contentment when you know and I think, and you see it, and we're, I think you, you put it here in, a, in a kind of the end, but that whole idea that the Christian life is a journey. You know, I think. Pilgrimage, yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, again, going, we can look at the Lord of Rings as kind of this Christian literature example, but a real life example is the Exodus. I don't think it's by accident that God took them 40 years to the wilderness. I think he was teaching them something and us something in his providential care in working and and how much of that was after the Ten Commandments, after Mount Sinai, mm-hmm. you know, and using those things to um, to remake us uh, and to show us how, what human life is supposed to look like. Yeah, heaven's not yet. I think that's kind of what the forty years was teaching: is look, the promised land's not yet. And so, likewise, we should not expect heaven's blessings here below, full, final contentment here on earth because the word earth is still fallen and broken we had uh, somebody recently at the church hike the appalachian trail and they did months of prep and research online because they wanted to see how light they could go hmm. and that's the name of the game when yeah, it's yeah. to hiking on the at you don't weigh yourself down with needless gear you pack light to make good time and so likewise we don't need to be weighed down by earthly riches and cares because our journey is toward heaven. That's our destination. So it's when this becomes the destination that we get bogged down and stagnated, but we got to move. And whether the Lord chooses to give us more or less, yeah, it doesn't really matter. Well, and also Jesus, remember, what did, what did he say? I'm preparing a place for you to come. Mm-hmm. Um, so he again, he is watchful over us. So I'm going to hike the Florida Trail next year. For my forty fifth birthday, forty. Are you going to grow the goatee out? Going to look like one of those, you know? Uh, you're you really going to look like a billy goat on yeah, the trail. I want to do forty five miles for my forty five years of life. Wow. Yep. What are you going to do when you're seventy? I'm going to do seventy miles. So what are you going to do when you're a hundred? Hundred miles. You're going to do a hundred miles on the Florida trail. Well, Judah 100. might carry me, or okay. Asher, or both of them. Yeah. Uh, good call. Uh, good call there. Or you could just drive. <laughs> Well, I'll drop off my, my kids or grandkids, and they'll do it for me, and then I'll pick them up on the other end. I always make fun of people that really like running. I'm just like, you know, if you left on time, you wouldn't have to run. I don't run. I drive. Clearly. I'm psyched about it. So we're at time. Thanks again. Like you said, we, we're finishing up the Ten Commandments here. Uh, on to the next one. We're on to... So, I mean, we, we could summarize it this way. The Ten Commandments are what duty God's requires of man and speak for every image bearer of Christ, you know, post-fall. We can't keep these demands, and so we need the gospel. And we're going to be talking about faith, repentance, the means of grace right. yep. uh, in the coming weeks. So we're really excited for some of the episodes that we've got coming up and for some interviews. We're going to have Dr. Sean Michael Lucas back on the show, and... We really hope you guys enjoy it. I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Okay. I was was waiting to see if you were enjoying it. 
Uh, thanks again, everybody. We'll talk soon. Keep it short. What is for?